0: is episode 153 of milwaukee's tailgate brewers podcast part of the mke tailgate podcast network i'm james linger joined by brad ford and ryan top today uh paul's out with the family this weekend but how you how are you guys doing i'm doing all right it's uh it's a nice
1: downtown right now we've got the the breeze coming in off the lake and it's it feels much more like late september than late august which is nice
2: yeah, it's it's been enjoyable. I've just now put together, though, that we're at episode 153, and I still hadn't gotten my check for syndication. So I've, that's something, <laughs> once we get off the airwaves, I'm going to have to give Ryan some uh, hell about. But, you know, other than that, I'm doing really well. Uh, and despite what's happening in baseball, being a prospect nerd and a person who loves the trade deadline, which we'll talk about later, just getting obsessed with scenarios that are never, ever, ever going to happen, like how the Brewers are not going to get Mike Clevenger.
0: Hmm. Yeah, a lot definitely going on as we record this on Sunday afternoon. So I think, you know, the way things typically go for us, we'll finish recording this in about an hour or so. And then once we hit stop, the Brewers will trade Josh Hader away for something and we'll have to just scrap all of this. Right. That's the way it'll go.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think the goal here is probably, so the Brewers are down four one in the top of the seventh right now. And uh, Mm -hmm. the goal here is for us to be finishing up right when Christian Yelich hits a walk-off home run like that's well the now goal. that you
0: said that it's not the, the jinx doesn't work that way Ryan and we have to say that Christian Yelich will strike out with the bases loaded uh, Whoa. that's that's the way yeah. that works
2: not in my world do you tell you, people that a Christian Yelich home run is gonna happen then Andy Haynes gets a contract for life
0: yeah, Brad definitely called that one on Saturday. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that in a second, too. First, some business to take care of. A reminder that we are sponsored by Carbon Four Brewing. You know, they're great beers like Block Party, the flagship fantasy factory IPA and others. The next time you're in Madison, stop by the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard. That's on the east side of town. Or just look for it at your local grocery store. You can also get a 20% discount on some Carbon 4 merch online just by listening to this podcast. Go to Carbon4.com. Use our promo code MKETAilgate when you check out. It's just that easy. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. For just five bucks a month, our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. And we got uh, I guess some trade deadline season mid season prospect updates to talk about there. They're going to be talking to Mike Rosenbaum of MLB Pipeline about the Brewers updated top 30 prospects list this week. We will see how many of those are actually still in the system by the time you guys talk to them, but we'll see. Or if there's added
2: ones, so there might be uh, some new names there to talk about.
0: I think there might be some adding and subtracting,
1: to be honest. Like, there'll be some guys who will go, and there'll be some guys added.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, So be on the lookout for that. They're going to talk to him later this week, so be on the lookout for that soon on our Patreon on site and when you sign up as our ball and glove patron you also get paul's reporting as eligible packers mini pods as we get close to starting packer season which i cannot believe is happening i i lost all concept of time so i forget that it's september this week and i've got a fantasy draft tonight that i still haven't prepared for so we'll see how that goes but uh yeah packer season starting up soon so you'll get paul's regular updates there as well
2: It's so weird without preseason games. Like, there's nothing in the schedule that really like pushes that where you have like that. Okay, we're we're ticking the clock down. No, it's just going to start all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, I think that's where I got tripped up because usually it's you know the preseason is the indicator. Like, okay, I've got like three or four weeks before I really have to start paying attention here, and none of that this year. I saw a tweet saying a Packers opener in two weeks. I'm like, wait, what? Uh, So yeah, sign up.
2: Sign up, for, sign up for the Fantasy Pro Draft Assistant for like two bucks. Just do a month subscription. Have them do your draft for you and then cancel your subscription immediately after. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it before for football, not baseball. I take too much pride in my baseball knowledge to do that.
0: Mm, yeah, well, my my fantasy baseball for the MKE Tailgate League is not going well so far. Uh, so hopefully I have better luck with the football. Uh, I don't, but as, I don't yeah. think I've been below the top three all season.
1: Yeah, you're the only one of us doing well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was fully open about how bad I was going to be about that. So, uh no real surprises there. But yeah, football season actually coming up. We'll see how much football actually gets played. But yeah, be on the lookout for Pauls reporting as eligible stuff coming up too. Uh so turning to the baseball now. Uh we want to kind of start with, you know, some of the news making uh headlines this week and of course, we had the uh Bucks kind of start off a a trend across pro sports this week Uh, when they decided not to play their playoff game on Wednesday. The Brewers followed suit. Uh, They were the first baseball team to make that call. Um, And as a result, they ended up playing a doubleheader on Thursday. But I know, uh, Ryan and Brad, you guys wanted to kind of go through that first. So I, I guess, what are your thoughts on how things played out this week?
1: In the moment, I wasn't surprised at all when they decided to cancel that game or to postpone it until the next day it seemed like kind of the only call that they could reasonably make given that the bucks had been out in the forefront the fact that this is happening in kenosha in an area just down the road from milwaukee and that it just would have seemed tacky for them to go on and and do it it would have it it just wouldn't have made sense now that isn't to say there weren't other teams that decided you know Chicago is about as far from Kenosha as Milwaukee is, and the Cubs still played, even though they had a player who said he wasn't going to play and took himself out of the game that night, Jason Hayward. So they still deserve credit for, for doing it, for making that stand, and for, for being observant that way, but it, did, it was not a surprising thing to me in any way, shape, or form when they did it. It seemed like kind of the only thing that they really could responsibly do.
2: And I'd like to add to that kudos to the Cincinnati Reds for jumping and realizing that it was an important enough message and movement. A majority of the players supported it. Um, Oh, we can make a joke about who didn't, but you all probably have your own theories in your head.
1: Oh yeah. Because it was reported that a couple players didn't vote for
2: one or two opposed it potentially. Um, I I'm really proud that Milwaukee realized the situation that was happening in the state, decided to take a moment to address it and, I think if you are one of those people who was frustrated by what happened, I encourage you to go and listen to everyone who spoke. There were a lot of people saying a lot of very important things, and it was a really beautiful day, I think, to see us a, a, a setting aside something that we enjoy for something that had risen to something that was more significant. I'm really happy that it happened. I felt a little pride in my sports city that day, because I, I thought it was a good break that everyone needed to take and really focus on the singular topic of what is happening in our state right now and across the country. So I think it's really important that everyone goes and listens to the statements from the Bucks, the statements from other NBA players, the statements from especially FS Wisconsin did a fantastic job that day on the fly they didn't really know it was coming and the announcers and everyone involved really took off and ran with that. I don't want to get too far into it because I feel like I could talk to it for hours. My, my big thing is um, just go listen to the messages that they had. Cause I think they're, they're really important and can help you understand why that needed to happen and why that day was important. I'm happy that some baseball teams chose to join and I would think the biggest thing that I felt emotionally that day was frustrated that there were other teams, especially, I think, three other teams that had a player set out, including the Cardinals, where the players sat out in protest, but the team didn't join them. Reportedly, the Cubs uh, were told, like, go play. It's okay. This is my thing. You don't have to do it. You can still go play the game. Don't worry about it.
1: You mean by Jason Hayward? He said that yes. reportedly to yes. the team was, yeah, I'm sitting out, but you should go play.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know if Dexter Fowler said the same thing to the Cardinals. Uh, I haven't seen any reports on that. Um, I Because I'd like to believe that the world is good, I'd like to think that that's true. Yeah, But uh, it, it does upset me that the other teams wouldn't join, that they're family in the locker room in a moment that was important to them. But overall, I think it it was a historic day that will be talked about for more time than I think a lot of people realize at the moment where sports shut down for a movement that they felt was bigger than them.
1: Yeah. I think that this really does go back to what Sean Doolittle said about sports being the reward for having a functioning society. And I think that this is the athletes saying no, this is is not a functioning society. This is not functioning the way it is supposed to. This is not okay. And we are not going to be there to be a distraction when there are major injustices happening and major important things that need our attention. So no, you won't get your sports when something like this happens. And that is a tremendously important message. And I Yeah, uh, 100% echo what you said. I commend them for doing it, and it is nothing but good from my
0: perspective. Turning to, I guess, the -the on-the-field stuff this week, breaking news, the Brewers' offense is still bad, I guess, (laughs) is the best way to put this. They did score a decent amount of runs first two games of the series against the Pirates, but again, that is the Pittsburgh Pirates, so I don't know how much we can actually take from that but I guess there are some encouraging signs you know we talked about Christian yelich seeing the uh, the home run on Saturday night after working with Andy Haynes and and Brad now is fully aboard the Andy Haynes for life train is, is that right am I getting you right
2: Yeah, I'm an Andy Haynes fan. I was actually thinking about <laughs> a, re- a sidebar on this I was thinking about the hypocrisy in me and the credit I give to DJ for what he's done to pitching staffs and then when people blame Andy Haynes, i just say, like, you're putting too much emphasis on the importance of a position. (laughs) It's true. So it it kind of made me feel feel a little weird realizing that I was talking about both sides of my mouth on the topic. But I really don't think that when you look at other teams going through the exact same thing, this can be something that's linked in a season like this to players, to the player coaches. I think it's much more a happenstance of it's a highly emotional season. These players are burdened by a lot on and off the field. Yeah. They have a lot of differing opinions and there's a lot of things that they have to face, a lot of stressors that they have to challenge. And I think if we want to speculate, which really we shouldn't because we're not going to solve the answer this way, but I, I would be more willing to cough it up to something like that than believing that Andy Haynes needs to be fired because no one's hitting over 200.
0: Right. I mean, these guys have, like you said, have a a lot going on right now, I guess. Ryan, where do you fall on that? Are you kind of willing to throw out the results, for lack of a better word, this year? Or are you more kind of worried about the the future long-term?
1: No, I mean, this year is just so bizarre and so different. I don't think we can read anything into the results of it and feel good that we're, like, accurately... Reading those results, you know, that's very much likely that if we were to do that and to react strongly to just purely like what we what we see in terms of the output, what we can see on a baseball reference page, whatever, that we're going to be wrong. And we're going to make mistakes. Now, inside the organization, they're going to have a better idea. They're going to have a better view of it to be able to understand, well, is the process good? They're going to have a much better idea of what the players are going through on an individual basis and what is happening what the, the mindset and the mood is and all of that. They will have their finger on the pulse in a way that we don't which isn't to you know basically like appeal to authority but I think it it's just the reality of the situation it's such a bizarre situation we're not going to get a sample size adequate to make any big sweeping judgments i shared that that meme on twitter like a week ago that uh, it was the Bart Simpson at the chalkboard saying, I will not draw sweeping conclusions from a 60 game season.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, exactly.
1: that's where it is. Like it just, you can't count on any of this actually meaning anything. And so we just, and it's something sports fans don't like to do, but you just kind of have to sit back and go, okay, well, I don't know what this means. It, It might not mean really anything. And we just sort of have to accept it
2: right we're talking about a team too that if you look at historical precedents which is very important when analyzing baseball could legitimately be like all of a sudden everyone's slugging 600 700 uh, throughout july or or september Mm -hmm. sorry the months don't make sense anymore (laughs) they've gone out of order we're going backwards now uh so we're talking about a team that has a very high potential for substantial performance. Although I do have to laugh at the positives that people try to find out of it. Like, you know, they had the walk off Homer from Eric Sogard on Saturday, which is a great moment. Probably one of the mo- or only significantly memorable moments of the season, especially when Luis Urias just falls over and whiffs it trying to Gatorade. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, but and
0: that that on deck circle gets slippery when when <laughs> it gets wet, you know.
2: Yep, I, I guess that's why they say no running in the on deck circle. Mm, the signs are yeah. posted. Mm. But when everyone who really follows the team and is trying to get people excited about stats is like, the Brewers have come back in eleven of their fifteen wins. And they're trying to use it as like, these are, <laughs> oh, look at these scrappy fighters. Because they Come never score first. <laughs> right. It's like, no, that's not the good thing you're trying to make it out to be. <laughs> it, it's actually a very troubling thing in that they're always behind, even in a majority of their wins. That's yeah, bad. Well,
0: shift to the context and, and you feel a little bit better about it, right? I mean, it, it, it sure beats kind of looking at the raw numbers and seeing that uh, coming into Sunday, they had a. Team OPS of 678, which is dreadful. I I forget if it was like third or fifth to last. It when it's that bad, it doesn't really matter how bad it is. It's just it's just really bad. Likewise, OPS plus only two players above 100 uh, right now. Christian Yelich came into Sunday at 116, and Orlando Arcia OPS plus of 101. Uh, we actually have a question about Orlando coming up in a little bit here, but it's been the same old story that we've been talking about for weeks here that they just can't seem to get anybody going really. And I guess it's, it's encouraging to see guys like Christian Yelich out there with Andy Haynes and putting in the work on the field, because it does kind of show like they could just chalk it up to random variants. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're a hot September away from the overall numbers looking great, but obviously they're still trying to put in the work (laughs) and figure out what the hell is going on here. Because at this point, I think even Craig Council is kind of just scratching his head, trying to find a lineup that works.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to note, and we have, like, this is not new information, but that Christian Yelich really has not been, he got off to the most horrible, dreadful right. start that you can. But if you look at what he's done in August, which is, you know, the vast majority of the season at this point, he's hitting two fifty-six, three ninety six, five ninety eight. Now, the, the yeah. batting average on that's a little bit low, but... You know, it's also Christian Yelich has a, you know, generally has a pretty good uh, batting average on balls in play. And this year, er, sorry, during even this month of August, it's uh, 286. So Mm -hmm. you could sort of just understand why he would be, why those numbers would be that bad and that the, the batting average would be low. But the rest of it, like he is taking his walks. He is hitting for power. There is no question that that stuff is all still there. He's just run into a little bit of trouble in terms of uh, in terms of BABIP, and that should probably straighten out. You'd be much more concerned about somebody like, say, Keston Hira, who really right. hasn't gotten going the way that we thought he was going to go. And just the fact that so few guys, with the exception of, you know, Luis uh, Urias and Jed Jerko, very few guys have really, truly gotten going.
0: Yeah, I was going to bring up Hira, uh, just because I know Brad is is very passionate about about Keston, he's kind of his his baby. He's he's watched him grow from a a wee little prospect into uh, what he is now. But I mean, today as we record this on Sunday, he does have the Brewers' lone uh, RBI. He broke an 0 for 15 streak with that RBI single, but he's still, I think, really struggling to make contact. He came into today with 46 strikeouts in 138 plate appearances, which even for him is still. Very high. I guess, Brad, are you are you still kind of feeling like he'll he'll eventually come around or are you starting to worry that maybe the the book is out on him a little bit?
2: I'm more of starting to throw it up to a sophomore slump just because that makes me feel best. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sure. When you look at the like baseball's advanced statistics, you look and you are seeing that the numbers aren't quite as elite as they were a season ago. You're looking at an exit velocity that's four miles per hour down off the barrel um, on average. You're looking at him striking out 3% more, which puts him in the bottom 7% of the league. Uh, You're looking at a hard hit percentage of 40.5% versus his 50%, which is really what creates a lot of his opportunities. So it's taking away from a lot of just his constant contact that is what – sets him up to be successful. And that's, you know, he has a great bat. He makes contact and high hand eye coordination. He makes contact with the ball a lot. And that's when you hit the ball hard and you do it a lot, that sets you up for a positive success rate. And unfortunately he's just not getting that this year because he isn't really peppering the ball like he has in the past. Um, one thing that you get concerned about immediately which is something we've talked about before when you look at dropped hard hit rates and you know there's one consistent change is the ball um so that's always a little concerning when you wonder how much of a success rate came to that then you compare him to christian yelich where christian yelich uh, you know there's things that are definitely worse than they have been in the past but they're the things that made him special the past three years are still great. His exit velocity is still in the 95th percentile. His hard hit rate is still in the 93rd percentile. He's still barreling 69% nice of his hits. Um, So there's still a lot to like about the background of what Christian Yelch is doing, but Keston Hira isn't sustaining that, that little special bubble. Uh, I'm not going to get worried about a poor 60 game season. Like we talked about, it's just when you're relying on him to be, one of the two major producers of the offense, it's hard not to notice how debilitating that's going to be to your team. When a guy who should be special with the bat isn't performing like you had hoped he would um, I've said in the past, he's a slow starter. At this point, we're past that like three week point that I normally give him. He hasn't really come out of it. At the same time, he's what, 24. It's his first se- full or first quote unquote full season with an MLB team. So I, I think that's generally the issue that people get into with a sophomore slump.
1: And I think to be fair too, if you look at his overall numbers, I mean this is not an Omar Narvaez slow start where even after doing pretty well over the last week, Narvaez has a, a OPS plus of 56. So he's more than forty percent below the league average in terms of OPS. Whereas you know here is at 89. Like he is literally just a hot four or five day stretch from being back above average and it wouldn't even have to be that hot a four or five day stretch a couple dingers you know a a four for five in there somewhere like and he's going to be back above average and yes we do need him to be more than that like this offense was sort of predicated around the idea that he was going to be a a a 30 or 40 percent better than league average guy like, I think that's sort of what we were expecting, right? Is something very solidly above average. And they do mm-hmm. kind of need that out of him. But it's not a complete disaster of a start the way that, say, Christian Yelich's first week where I was looking at it. He literally in August, or in uh, the month of uh, July had a zero batting average on balls in play because <laughs> the only hitting he got was a home run. So it's not that kind of a slow start. It's. It's something he can he can rebound from and he will need to for the Brewers to get to where they want to go.
0: Yeah. And I think the reason I brought up maybe the possibility of the book being out on him, so to speak, is I don't know if you guys have seen kind of the the strike zone heat maps and stuff for him lately, Uh, but it it seems, you know, just. I test when he watched the game. It seems like the the strategy against Hero right now is to kind of blow him away with the high heat, and he's not touching any of that right now. Uh, he's he's really struggling with anything above the belt. Uh, he he's still hitting the low ball pretty well, you know, and he can still kind of get around on those breaking pitches and hit him out. But I mean, how many times have we kind of? been frustrated and complained about him just whiffing on a slider straight down the middle. You know, it, it, it's stuff like that where it kind of makes me think that maybe the the book is out on him. And part of that sophomore slump is always kind of adjusting to the adjustments. Right.
2: Right. You're looking at, they have a scouting report on you. You really have it, especially when you're a high, like a quick mover like Keston hero, where the leagues really don't have the time to put together a comprehensive plan to combat you you're looking at a situation where you haven't really had to compete with these very very intricate scouting reports that set pitchers up for success and it's the first time you really had to deal with that where you're actually dealing with targeted attacks of your weakness Uh, You know, I've talked to a lot of pitchers after they're drafted and they talk about the scouting reports being one of the most different things that they've had as a pro player now, because they are so much more in depth in college. Before you're really just dealing this point, you're really just dealing with pitchers who are talented, giving you a good game strategy that's good for most people. And you can kind of attack that. Now you're dealing with something very, very specialized, And it takes a little bit for a lot of people to adjust that you even look at Ryan Braun had a bit of a sophomore slump, barely, but he had a little bit of a sophomore slump because as a really talented hitter, he had to deal with the same thing, you know, uh, eventually, if you are as good of a hitter as advertised, which I think there's no reason not to believe that Kestenhira is, you overcome that and you're able to eventually get back to the point where even when a team has a game plan against you, it's hard to have success.
1: Yeah, he's going to have to figure out here's the way that uh, pitchers are trying to attack me and to make them pay for that because there is a there's a way to do that. And, yes, it may involve making some swing adjustments. It may involve uh a new approach, like deciding to approach things a little bit differently than maybe you did in the past, but there's a way through this. I mean, we saw this Mike Trout went through something similar where for a little while there, I think it was at the end of one of his great seasons, he really struggled with the high fastball. And that winter he went in and said, okay, I'm going to figure this out and came out of it. And I'm not saying casting here is Mike Trout. I'm just saying that like, <laughs> there are ways to, to fix and address these things. If you're willing to, to look at it and and acknowledge, hey, there's an issue here, I need to fix this and then put in place a plan of action. We know that the brewers have a, a staff that is smart and competent and will be able to help him do that. The question is just is he, you know, going to take those steps? And I I see no reason to believe that he won't. I think he's made adjustments all the way up as a, as a prospect, and we'll see him continue to make adjustments and and find ways to have success. So I'm not concerned about
0: that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Kiro's really kind of depended on to be that number two behind Christian Yelich, right? I mean, we, we were all kind of trying to hesitate on how high to set our expectations for him, but really there's, like, when you looked at the roster, there was really no way around it. It was Christian Yelich and then Keston Hero were your main two bats probably uh, depending on how much you believed in Ryan Braun and Avi Garcia and all all those other guys. But uh, to this point, everybody's kind of just been disappointing. And I, uh, to kind of show that I I pulled up the Brewers uh, baseball reference page for this year so far on, you know how they have the top 12 players by war at the top of the page there. Uh, The first six are all pitchers. So Uh you get seven down the list before you get to a batter and uh, assuming you guys don't have this pulled up and are cheating right now, do you want to take a guess on who who the uh, Brewers batting war leader is, according uh, to is baseball it, reference?
2: Is it by qualified? Or uh, it, like what's great. the minimum?
0: Great question. I have no idea. Uh, but it's really random.
2: Because I would guess if it's not by qualified, it would be Jed Jericho.
0: Hmm. He is not up here, but I'm going to guess it's a qualifying issue. Okay. Uh, number seven on that list is Manny Pena. So oh, he's the first bat on that list there. And the Brewers just lost him for the rest of the year. So, uh, <laughs> again, nothing seems to go right uh, for the Brewers this year. But I don't know. I, I didn't have this on the rundown, but are you guys at least kind of hopeful that maybe Jacob Nottingham can kind of provide a boost here? Or are you just kind of interested to see what he can do with about a month's worth of plate appearances?
2: No, they're going to trade for Jason Castro. Well, wait, he just went to the Padres. Yep. Um. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jason Castro is off the board. So it's it's the Sheriff Nottingham show. No,
1: I mean, I've long been a believer in Nottingham, and it is really important to remember, and I've said this so many times, but the guy's only 25, and catchers take time, especially guys who had to work on defense the way he did, and they rounded him into a pretty good defensive catcher. and you have to remember the bat was the thing that was expected to carry him back when the Brewers got him from Oakland. Uh, and so this is what you sort of, you wait for You, you try to give guys time and be patient so that you could potentially get a breakout out of a guy. And it wouldn't surprise me at all. If, if Nottingham went on to have you know, a solid career, maybe not as a, a full fledged star starter, but as a guy who in a uh, catching platoon, uh, who's going to you know be able to feast maybe on some lefties, that that guy can do the job and and do work there. So
2: that I'm would... done being optimistic. He's just gonna be bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, his his bat has been. Oh wow, <laughs> that was bad.
0: Yeah, that was a ball. We're watching what? the Brewers right now. They're, yeah, we just got to the. Uh, so you're going to be listening to this after the fact. We just got to the uh, wild pitch with the bases loaded that somehow didn't oh, score a run. It's, so.
2: Jed Jerko can't score from third. <laughs> is
0: the issue again? It's the the elite slowness of Jed Jerko. <laughs> the slowness
1: of Jerko combined with a ball that just bounced right back to the catcher. And he probably would have been gunned out at home if the pitcher had managed to get a decent tag down.
2: So sorry for the interruption, especially when I noticed that Justin Smoke apparently has a 150 batting average in his career with bases loaded. And for some reason, it's been chinning in a situation. Anyway, uh, enough talking about the past that's currently our present. You know, his bat has been so bad since he's joined the organization. I don't know if his bat can statistically be what it needs to be. I think he can be defensively a fine major league player as a guy who catches 20 games. But I just, I don't think he's going to, like, come... It, it, now is the time. If he's going to do it, now is his time. And he has to take this opportunity. This is the opportunity where people claim their roster spots and then Manny Pinas waived instead of going through arbitration next year.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It, it's just you really want to dream big on Nottingham because you know, not to throw another sports analogy out there, but it, you know how like football coaches will fall in love with a quarterback. Cause he just looks like a star quarterback kind of thing. Jacob Nottingham looks like a masher, right? He's got the long wet hair now and he he's a big dude standing in the box and you just want him to, to be the type that hits like 25 or 30 home runs. But that has not shown up for years at this point. So I don't right. I don't know
2: that's leaving the A's organization he hasn't been able to hit
0: yeah and I, I know Brad you've talked about kind of half jokingly but also like half serious like there's something about the Brewers organization where they can turn a bad defensive catcher offensive first catcher into a decent like backstop and then all semblance of their bat is gone.
2: Right. Like the if you're looking at the current offensive war and defensive war for Omar Narvaez, who has a on fan graphs, has a negative 3.4 offensive war and a 2.0 defensive war, which is exactly what we were not expecting coming into the season. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, the thing with Narvaez this year and the defensive transformation has been really something I did not see that coming at all.
2: And he's not top tier, but he's middle of the pack, which I think we need to respect how substantial he went from being, I think, literally the worst defensive catcher by most metrics to now he's a solid middle of the pack.
1: I mean, it's better than even solid middle of the pack because that includes backups and everything. He was when I looked, he was like 16th in baseball. And that's out of what 70, 80 qualified catchers. So it's it's pretty good and granted he is getting a lot of playing time but his his numbers were so far in the negative side last year that just seeing it in the positive is kind of shocking not yeah. that's
0: something we were really expecting at all it's a pleasant surprise but it's also a surprise that isn't necessarily helping the brewers right now because they could really use that offensive catcher He's that at they least thought they were getting it. He's at yeah. least been
2: providing it as of late. I mean he's hitting three hundred over better, the last ten days or so.
0: He's had a better couple of weeks here. Yeah. But like yeah, I think just, actually, that overall like, line's gonna look worse.
2: Yeah. I think that's down uh over the or because yesterday he kinda had a bad day.
0: Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Justin smoke struck out with the bases loaded. So who could have seen I, that coming? I for one am shocked. Yeah. It's Shock. too bad. Paul's not here to gloat about that. Right. Ryan, well,
2: not that. Shocked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, really hoping the Brewers were able to pick up a first base. And we'll get to the trade talks in a little bit here, but I kind of want to touch on Josh Hader as he's been kind of the most discussed, at least trade piece, the brewers might have had a really, really brutal outing on Saturday night. He walked five of the six, what, five of the six guys he faced or something like that. Five walks. Nine strikes
2: in like 26
0: pitches. It's like by far the worst he's looked as a brewer. I think at least, you know, recency bias and everything like that. But I can't remember an outing quite like that where he just totally lost the zone and did not have it. I don't, can you guys think of another outing like that? I remember
2: them, but uh, the issue was everything. He was getting everything to the same point of the outside of the zone. Normally, when he's that wild, it's go- they don't. No one knows where it's going, and I think in this situation, the issue was it was all coming to that top right corner when you're facing a right batter. He's missing the same
0: spot over and over again.
2: Right. So you can watch that spot and it's going to that spot over and over again. You don't have to swing where normally it's bouncing inside. It's bouncing outside. And if you watch the glove of the catcher, you can tell they're just like, dear God, don't let this escape me. Because if so, game over Uh, this time, it was very consistent where he was being uncontrollable, which is a weird thing to say. But that's what. Yesterday when I was watching, I, I thought it was strange because normally you see that like fastball and you're, he puts a fat one down the middle of the plate and you're like, ugh, and then he puts the one that's a foot off the plate inside, but a guy's still swinging because he has no idea where it's going and he doesn't want to die to it and he hopes maybe just putting his bat out that it will result in something good. That's normally what you're dealing with when Hater gets that wild. We have seen it before, but we haven't seen it look that way, which is why I think it felt so bad when it happened
1: yeah it definitely if you look at his overall numbers for the season the pitch info plate discipline numbers he was in the zone last year 53 percent of the time the year before 55.4 percent of the time this year it's down to 41.2 percent and that's wow yeah that's a, a really really big drop and yes that is at least somewhat being heavily influenced by what happened on Saturday night,
2: right? I would like to know what those stats were prior to yesterday. Yeah, even when he's looking at nine and a third in five walks, it's really not that bad. Or like compared to what you expect from Hater, you're like, okay, a little more than four per nine. Um, that's about or with like high variance because it's such a low number. That's about what we're, we're expecting. And then he throws, like I said, almost thirty pitches. A third of them are strikes that is going to in less than 10 innings of playing time really screw up any thing you can look at in terms of that acknowledgement. So when you're looking and trying to study like, okay, well, how does that compare to a season that is so substantial at screwing up your numbers? Cause what now he's a walk per inning basically.
0: Uh, yeah. More than that. He's got 10 walks in nine, nine and two thirds innings right now.
2: Right. So you're looking at, I mean, it screwed it up so much where he went from career norm to this. And, I was a little shocked Council would let him go as long as he did. I wonder if that wasn't like, well, let's let Hader get this mental victory before going to Devin Williams and putting Devin Williams in maybe one of the more high-pressure appearances of his short-lived career.
1: Right. Well, Hader has been shaky at times, and Council has generally given him the leash to get himself out of it. And for the most part, he's been successful at it. Hader very rarely has throughout his career had huge blow up innings like that's not mm-hmm. the Josh Hader thing. He will give up some home runs sometimes and you will see that. But it's generally more of a, you know, he'll give up a solo shot or a two run shot or something. And that will be the the cause for his maybe not locking down a save or giving up a lead or something. But a huge, big blow up inning that was not really something that they were used to. And I get why Council would want to stick with him and give him the chance to get out of that. I think that there is something to the idea that you do need to put your faith in your best relievers and trust them to be good. Because if they uh, can't be good and if they start to to lack that confidence, then you really do have problems. So I, I get why he did it. He probably was, what, a batter too late on on getting him out of there like it probably uh, came about i think late. when
2: he walks in the run when he walks in the run is when he should have been gone
1: so two batters late
2: uh well no a batter late because he walked in two runs so uh yeah. But yeah we're on the exact same
0: page yeah yeah, yeah. but i mean uh, at the same time like craig council said after the game he's never going to regret leaving josh Hader in the game Because, you know, nine times out of 10, like Ryan said, it's not going to be a blow up inning. He's going to get out of it. He, I mean, let's be honest. He hasn't been especially hater like this year, even before Saturday night, right? Like he's walked himself into a couple of jams already, but he's gotten out of it. Those two runs he walked in were the first two runs he's allowed all year.
1: Well, and that would be because he hasn't given up a hit. Yeah.
0: Like- yeah, he hasn't given up a hit and obviously hasn't given up a home run when that's been an issue. I guess, I don't know, the the numbers that Ryan gave out there with the pitching outside of the zone, I, I wonder how much of that is, A, consciously trying to avoid the home runs this year, and B, the renewed focus on using his slider, which is not the easiest pitch to place, but when he does, it's impossible to hit.
2: Brad conspiracy corner time guys. Uh oh. <laughs> so I was thinking about it while we were talking to this. And I think the last time I can actively remember Josh Hader being this out of control is his appearance against the Washington nationals in the wild card game. Uh, and why you did he to do that? Why did he end up getting hit? Because he was wild, not only wild, but he was wild in the zone and cause he got screwed out of a big strike call. But uh, <laughs> regardless, so I wonder if this, like he's having like flashbacks to that moment of last time I didn't have control like this. Like I got hit hard. If I try to like still out the edge, I'm not going to get blown up. And I wonder if it has something to do with that, where he's trying to pepper the edge because his issues were so linked to him being wild in the zone. Where isn't it? I mean, it ended up being significantly better that he walked in two runs for the team. than he gave up a, a, bases loaded double that scores all three
1: right and so nibbling even when the bases are loaded it, there are a few things that drive fans more insane than walking a guy with the bases loaded it, it pretty much always just makes people go completely ballistic and it i i get that but there's also the the thing that doug davis taught me as a as a oh, brewer's boy. fan oh yeah the thing that doug davis taught me was that there is value in not giving in to batters that If you continue to pitch around the zone, if you're in the area of the zone and and throwing it close, that hitters will eventually get themselves out like they will find a way they will want to swing when they shouldn't swing and they will figure out ways to get themselves out. And maybe you need to get a a, a lucky call like I watching that back again this morning. I looked at it and I was like, there were a few calls that could have gone hate- the other direction for Hader, where he would have gotten a, a strike and it could have been very big and, and sort of changed how that thing went. But that's part of the game. Like that's part of the deal is you will have times when you just get squeezed and you're not getting the, the strike zone as wide as you maybe should be getting. And that's something that like all pitchers just have to deal with at times. And I think that from... His perspective, like not wanting to give in, we saw this this week with Corbin Burns, right?
0: I was just gonna say that that it seems like Corbin's learned this lesson this year, you know, and it's kind of been a driving factor in his success. He's
1: not giving in to hitters and just throwing it in the zone and, and praying, and you know, then running to back up the uh, for a double or a home run. Like that's that's something that he's learned and adjusted on, and I think that it is something that pitchers have to sort of get acclimated to and understand that you know a walk isn't always the worst thing in the world if a hitter is on you and if you're around the zone sometimes a walk can be the result of you know a pretty well pitched at bat for a pitcher if the hitter just happens to you know be better in that instance it's fine
2: right well that's why 10 to 12 pitch at bats normally end up being so beneficial to a batter is because you're getting on the hitters or on the pitchers nerves at some time where they're like fine let's just see if this works And you end Mm -hmm. up getting a mistake pitch more out of just a guy throwing something on a hope and a prayer that is going to work and you're going to swing through. Sometimes it does work, but that's why those end up commonly being those at-bats where you get those huge moments.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's value there. I, I just can't, like you said, Ryan, it just boils the blood of a lot of fans and I get 30 pitches of terror Francisco Rodriguez flashbacks when I start seeing the closer walk one or two guys an in inning. So I can't help, but be a little concerned. So I don't know. I guess the gist here, are you guys worried about Hader going forward with this or are you willing to kind of chalk it up to a weird 10 inning sample?
2: Weird 10 inning sample for sure. I think it just is a lot of bad luck and a lot of small sample size, especially when they've been lo- using him in a lot Smaller situations than they ever have before. Every hater outing means that much more.
1: I think that there's enough here to be watching cautiously as to what's going on here, and and to acknowledge the fact that yeah, the velocity is down a mile an hour basically from where it was last year on the fastball, though it's down less than half a mile an hour from where it was two years before that so like this isn't drastically different than what we've seen from him in the past at least according to what FanGraphs has for their fastball velocity here they have him at 94.8
2: i believe his velo was like up 94 95 consistently yesterday you, you don't want to see like the velo return to normal on the day he can't hit the strike zone but yeah. at least you have like the velo Again, we we've seen the as we discussed last week, we've seen these weird variances in his velocity.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Hayter is clearly trying to become he's trying to evolve as a pitcher too. like he talked Mm -hmm. in the offseason about going to the pitching lab and, you know, working on specifically his slider and integrating that more and becoming more of a complete pitcher that way instead of just relying on what was, you know, obviously a, a really, really great and still is a really great fastball he wanted to become a more complete pitcher and maybe get out ahead of potential regression based on say losing velocity or something in, in the future. So it's good to see that he's doing that, but I think you have to, you have to anticipate that there's going to be some growing pains with that, that that isn't going to always just be this, this really smooth process. So that could be what's going on here. We could be just seeing normal growing pains of a pitcher trying to adjust his game, but I, I would be watching it cautiously and, having kind of an eye on it, because we might be seeing something in terms of a a guy slipping, and it wouldn't be the first time. Relievers, there's a reason that, like, Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman and Billy Wagner, like, those guys are really standouts because they had long, successful careers as relievers. That's not the norm in baseball. How many times have we seen guys come through, have a good year or two, like, really dominant all-star caliber year with the Brewers, and then... They're basically gone. Dan Kolb, Derek Turnbow, John Axford.
2: I think you're looking at those guys, and they're very different, though.
1: Haters better than them, yes.
2: H- Haters better, and he was always expected to kind of be this guy. He always had this trajectory where Turnbow, Axford, who's the pitcher? who is Jim Henderson. Jim, Henderson. Jim Henderson are like yeah. your yeah. guys who came out of indie ball and or w- really just threw 99 miles per hour. And they were like, hey, go try it. And it worked. And then it worked only for a season because turns out once guys adjust to that, they can hit it really well. Or in Derek Turnbow's case, all you got to do is put the bat out there and it hits the ball and the ball's a home run.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It just seems to be happening at an inopportune time, at least if if you're on the uh, trade Josh Hader train, right? Because we're, as we record this, less than 24 hours away from the trade deadline, it For what it's worth, it hasn't really slowed down any of the rumors. There's, especially on Sunday, a lot of stuff coming out about who's interested. I know Robert Murray said that the Padres, Yankees, and Dodgers all checked in on him. There's a lot of calls coming in, but John Heyman said that uh, at least it doesn't sound like the Brewers are actively shopping him. I think he phrased it as there, there's no outgoing calls on Josh Hader, but they're getting plenty of interest coming in. And, and we're starting to see some of these trades come in pretty quickly. Like we mentioned uh, at just on Sunday, Mitch Moreland got traded from the Red Sox to the Padres uh, Padres also picked up Jason Castro. So they're obviously kind of, in the buy buy now mode, right. Trying to capitalize on this hot start that they've had with a uh, slam Diego, as they say. And we've also got Jose Martinez coming back to the NL central to the Cubs, which is kind of an interesting move there. So a lot going on, but I guess we're still trying to figure out exactly how involved the brewers are going to be. I know we kind of mentioned through here, we're kind of expecting maybe a couple of moves and maybe kind of like a counter building situation where maybe you, you, take a rebuilding trade but you also bring in somebody to help this year it kind of leads us to our first patreon question from Jay google he says with the deadline approaching what are your thoughts on what the brewers might do also which team would you like to see get in the mix for josh Hader? and if they do trade Hader, what positions should david Stearns be looking for brad i know you're a big fan of the san diego farm system so is that the route you would like to take with Hader if they do trade him or is there someone else in mind
2: I think the three that Marie mentions are the three that I would want chasing Hater because they're the ones with the farm systems required to get him. If you're looking at previous trades, it's really hard to ever compare trades, especially when you're looking at a 30 game season, but probably the Andrew Miller trade is the closest one we can get to in player who is currently undoubtedly the best player in baseball or pitcher or reliever in baseball with abundance of team control going to contender. When you're looking at that and using that as a measuring stick, then it definitely looks like the Padres, Yankees, Dodgers are probably the best of the competing teams to be in the mix right now. Maybe also the Braves would be another one because they also have starting pitching depth, which is an obvious weakness for Milwaukee In when you get to the back end of it. So those are, I'm happy that it's those teams uh, in regards to targeting positions in that come back in a trade like that. I don't really think that's how David Stearns operates.
1: And he shouldn't.
2: Right. You'd rather get the best talent you can get back because you're giving yourself depth. You're giving yourself a safety net for if things go wrong. And then you're giving yourself flexibility for trades in the future.
1: Right. When you trade a Josh Hader, you do not do that to fill a specific hole to do something like that now if it works out that way fine great but that can't be what you're looking at you have to be looking not just at like impact but like impact over time is what you are looking for in that situation and so you have to find what you can get and and look for it and if it happens to be at a position you're already well stocked at fine like that you you can make other trades like you can do other moves and and do that you cannot be looking to fill a hole when you make a trade like Josh Hader it it needs to be for impact a player that you truly believe in and or players that you truly believe in like I saw a lot of speculation that there was stuff going on I guess by fans about the White Sox and like oh god (laughs) yeah yeah and like I think that if you were to to look at something like the White Sox, you would say, yeah, Andrew Vaughn needs to be in that trade because Andrew Vaughn could potentially be a cornerstone building piece for the Brewers for a long time. And no, White Sox, you're not getting Vaughn or sorry, Woodruff not and Hader. Woodruff and Hater. No, stop
2: for Vaughn and like their number 10 overall prospect yeah (laughs) yeah
0: no no what are you
2: talking about
0: this now that's the the fun time of year let me tell you yeah
2: and then (laughs) people come i i don't want to insult brewers fans i like the people on twitter who i haven't muted or blocked i generally genuinely have a good relationship (laughs) with But then like people, they put out those rumors. Someone thinks they're authentic and like someone else in the community sells them as authentic. And then people come to me and you're like, do you think this could really happen? I'm like, no, like Vaughn and Dunning is like one where you're like, hmm, with another piece that could get hater. But for the Brewers to give up the best pitcher in their rotation and their best reliever for a first baseman.
0: And like what, seven years of team control between the two of them. (laughs)
2: I'm <laughs> um, like,
0: <laughs> no, stop it. Yes,
2: that's the
1: Michael Jordan meme, stop it.
0: It's like um, Heyman's saying, too, like, teams are calling on Corbin Burns, too. Like, great, call him on all you want. I don't foresee, like, any scenario... In like, which, like, the Brewers give up five years of team control for Corbin Burns if this is what he's going to be.
1: I mean, if you want to treat him like he's the really good pitcher he has looked like so far, if you want to treat him as a a number two pitcher in a good rotation, if that's what you want to to trade for him as, okay, we could talk. But then you're talking about trading for a number two in with five years of control. And yeah, you, you're going to back up the truck for that. So, and nobody's going to do that.
2: At that point, we're talking like Chris Sale levels of control, and considering Cor- Cor- Corbin Corbin Bern- Burns' er, level of uh, return, and if, if you're talking about giving a Chris Sale level trade for a Corbin Burns level talent, which I really like Corbin Burns, I think he's very good, but he is not Chris Sale. I don't think anyone's no. questioning that. You, right. you're not going to do it, right? Like, you're not... The Red Sox gave up the uh, top five prospect in all of baseball. I think maybe he... Yeah, Mankato was the number one prospect in baseball at that point.
0: Mankato was number one at that point, yeah.
2: Yeah, so, mm-hmm. like, the Rays... And had Kopech
1: to, was, like, one of the top five pitching prospects in all of baseball. Yeah, yeah. and
2: like, I think yeah. he was a top 20 prospect. So, and then you, you gave up another top 100 prospect, so it needs to be the Tampa Bay's Rays calling and offering me some pretty ridiculous things like Wander Franco, McKay, Aunt Britt Honeywell. And then it's like, okay, yeah, have court Burns. insurance. <laughs> Because then you get a first baseman, a pitcher, uh, one of the best prospects or the best prospect in baseball and a pitcher who only has dropped due to injury recently in terms of his productivity. That's the type of return you're talking about for Corbin Burns with the level of control and talent he's produced at this point, aside from last year.
1: Right. Which isn't to say that, like, he is that good. We're just saying that that's the kind of bar you set on a return for a guy like that. You don't. Unless you really, unless you think that it's a mirage and that it's going to disappear, then you might make that move. But you you certainly don't make that move if you think that you're looking at a legitimate breakout from Corbin Burns.
0: Right. And that's also why the asking price on Hayter has been just bananas, right? He's still got three years of control left. To this point, he's been one of the best relievers, not just in the league, but like in league history. You know, mm-hmm. he's put up some of those insane record-setting seasons. So, of course, the 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 ask is going to be astronomical, uh, which well, is why I, d- I don't see that happening, but I don't know.
2: When the Padres call if David Stearns isn't demanding Mackenzie Gore, yeah. I, I think it's kind of insane. The Padres can get Hater without giving Mackenzie Gore, but that should be what the Brewers are asking for, because this is an unprecedented trade chip in MLB history. To have a, right, that, a reliever this young, this good, this controlled.
1: Yep. And that's, yeah, you would absolutely ask for gore. And then you'd maybe move down to, you know, what, like Patino plus somebody else really good. I'm blanking on who else is in the Padre system at the moment, but you would, you would maybe move down to the next tier, but.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're looking at like Abrams and Patino, who the Padres have said they aren't interested in. You're looking at coupling like two guys who are top 50, top 100 prospects. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, top 100 prospects aren't necessarily accurate reflections mm-hmm. of what the league thinks, of, universally thinks of prospects, but it's a good inkling. You know, we talked to uh-huh. Carlos Colazo on how Baseball America builds their list, and it's from talking to ignor- or organizational evaluators, and that's how they build things up. So it's a good reflection of that. And I think it would be probably the first time you're looking at a player who would get three top 100 prospects universally, unless you do two players to be added later, because now we know that the players to be named later can be off the 60-man roster.
1: Okay, yep. That is an important thing to note, because there were some limitations and hesitations Mm -hmm. about that, as far as what could be traded and what couldn't, because technically the minor leagues are not like those, those contracts are suspended at the moment. If you're not in your uh, teams on your team's 40
0: or in their camp.
2: Right. That was news. I just learned this morning because I understood the surface level, which was 60 player pool is all you get.
0: I guess we've gotten this question a number of times in the last couple of weeks, but I guess, you know, given more context, what we've seen, what we're hearing in the last uh, couple of weeks, do you guys feel any, like a Josh Hader trade is any more or less likely than it's been to this point. I guess, where do you feel on that?
2: I think it's the most likely it's ever been, but like it went from like a 1% to like a, I talked before the show, like a 15%.
1: (laughs) Right. Which is still worse than like one in five chance. So it's still really kind of a long shot. And then I think that that feels right to me too. I think it could happen. I'm not going to be stunned if it happened, But I'm also not expecting it.
2: I think David Stearns probably prides himself on the idea that he sells a year early Mm -hmm. rather than a year too late. Uh, Very a la Ted Thompson for people who follow the Packers. And he's probably looking at a we know haters volatile, right? We know his arm slot is historically one that leads to injury. We know that his control is terrible. We know that if he is losing velocity that there is a good chance that he's just done as a reliever so if you're david sterns you definitely won't i think you want to sell on josh Hader sometime in the next three years before he's out of your system because there's a high chance based on history that he just isn't going to be good for forever which we've already discussed but right
0: this winter more likely than tomorrow (laughs) i think
2: this winter it goes up to like 30 percent depending on what the markets are like i think teams are i think trades are actually going to be crazy this winter because teams are going to be crying poor and they're going to want cost control Mm
1: -hmm. i think that's that's right too i think we're going to see that we're going to see a a free agent market that is very late developing and that guys do not get we're going to see a lot of pillow contracts guys taking one year and then trying to re-hit the market in a year or two
2: yeah i feel like this is gonna be like 2019 all over again right
1: yeah it, it could be way way worse like way way worse depending on how the economic outlook is whatever happens in the country before then like it's it, it could be really really bad
2: there's a realistic chance we're also not playing with fans again next year
1: at least to start the year mm-hmm. or limited yeah. numbers of fans yeah
2: it's it's less likely than like what we're doing right now or like the idea of playing with fans where or without fans was throughout this entire year but there's a chance uh so it's it's just something that it's going to be weird for a number of reasons because of all that and owners are going to have a lot of undue leverage just in terms of negotiations and for player contracts this offseason
1: i think that that's unavoidable
0: yeah so i guess outside of hater to go back to the first part of Jay's question, just what might the brewers actually do then? Do you guys think, do you think they sell off kind of Pete's and obviously by the time y'all listen to this, you'll know what happens probably, but uh, here's our chance to reverse jinx it or at least kind of get out there what we think should be done. So I guess, Brad, I know you've been kind of pushing this idea of trying to get what you can for Brett Anderson. Is he kind of the type of piece you would think of moving right now?
2: Yeah, I would trade Brett Anderson, and then if you get a trade where you feel like you're coming out ahead, David Phelps. And that's really about it. Maybe like other players, like, uh, you know. It's Jerko or something, yeah. Claudio, Jerko. If there's anything where, I think Jerko might actually be an asset worth holding on to. That's because true. Because you don't know he's, what he's corner He's the only one hitting, to
0: too. Yeah, exactly. Right.
2: So, you know, you can play hit your corner in field spots. I'd be fine with keeping him around for another year. You might as well rather than nothing's really coming unless you get something back in a trade. So, but I really don't think the brewers are going to do anything. I don't know. I have this weird gut feeling that it's going to be a dumb, boring trade period, which is going to be fine for a 60 game season. Because it is what it is. But I think, like, considering Brett Anderson is the only one who doesn't really have future value and is likely, based on all analytics, the most volatile of their trade assets, he's the one where I would be like, just get him out. Anyone who needs to rotation help. And then let Freddie just do what he does in the rotation, and it's going to be fine. Uh, I mean, you still have Eric Lauer, who's coming in for what appears to be a spot start. You have other depth that you can try out shoe pack wrong her brown in the taxi squad system so you have other places you can play with i i think brett anderson gave you a surprising amount of value this year he's only on a one-year deal just get him out the door but in terms of what i am predicting happens nothing i think there's
1: going to be something it's not going to be the big trades that people are talking about like the hater moves maybe even like phelps like i think a lot of people have have targeted that i don't think it's going to be something like that so it's going to be more minor and maybe more head scratching people will it, it could be sort of a replay of the mauricio Dubon for uh drew pomerantz and who else did they get oh ray black <laughs> like a, a repeat of something <laughs> like that where people go what is going on here this is ridiculous and then you know oh well the Brewers saw that Drew Pomerantz was actually like secretly a really, really good reliever and nobody knew it yet. Like they picked it before somebody else did and then acted on it.
2: Right. So we're going to see like a David Phelps and a Corey Ray for Mike Clevenger.
0: (laughs) No, (laughs) is that not it? I mean, here's the thing, (laughs) like the way David Stearns has typically rolled in the past, right? We don't see it coming like brewers oh. looms are very seldom rumored before they happen in the next hour <laughs> nothing that we're speculating on today is probably right. gonna happen i
2: think, think pomerans had been mentioned like once like probably what's gonna happen is they're gonna trade woodruff for a haul and we're gonna be like whoever thought that was going to happen and it's just gonna be something stupid where we didn't think or orlando arcia or like gets traded for a haul um, which I think it is realistic he could get traded, but unlikely.
1: Well, Hura just ended the game for the, <sighs> uh, with a, a deep fly. I thought that was
2: going oh, to fly man, out to I the wall. I just saw them catch it, and if it had been like a foot to the left.
0: All right. So Brewers lose, and they're sellers now. So who are we? No. The,
2: the Brewers <laughs> lose, and they have lost, or they are responsible for 50% of the Pirates' wins once again.
0: Fantastic. Oh, five of 10, right? Mm hmm. And they officially lose the season series to the Pittsburgh Pirates. No, split. Five-five. A split. Well, yeah. split. Which five, is five. a loss. <laughs> no, the, the, uh, the best they can do is a split. They've got the random Monday series ca- cap oh, for tomorrow. Oh, so, right. So the best they can hope for is 500 against the Pirates, which, you know, is kind of yeah. leading to this discussion on whether they should sell or not. But also... This
2: season is stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah, coming into today... I mean, we, we've we spent a good amount of time talking like the Brewers are sellers, right? And at the start of the day, they came in in a playoff spot in second place in the NL Central because the NL Central is terrible this year. I don't know. Do you think maybe the Brewers, I mean, the Brewers don't necessarily have anything to, to buy with. Uh, like you guys said, maybe it's a Dubon for Pomerans thing, but do they still target like a corner bat? Or what would you think they would try to target if they were to try to buy?
1: Yeah, I think it would be a corner bat. I think you'd be looking for somebody that could go into the middle of the lineup and help them there. And I I really was kind of hoping, thinking it could be Mitch Moreland. And that's not going to happen because he's a Padre now. So, oh, well.
2: The Padres are going to trade Mitch Moreland to the Brewers and the Josh Hader trade. (laughs) (laughs) The thing and reason I talk about them selling, and I think the team agrees with this, too, and I know Ryan agrees with this is that if they, they can sell one of the pieces we talked about, even Josh Hader, they can sell one of those pieces and still be a playoff team with the current situation. Right. And I think that's why you're looking at this as a team like the Brewers, where you're like, wait, you mean we can improve our future and still get to hang that flag in our left field wall? It, I think that's a beneficial situation for a team who, you know, doesn't have a lot of prospects who are close. Anything they do, though, I cannot imagine them doing anything that would benefit their team for only 30 games, unless they feel like they're really just passing on a a throwaway chip. Like they do a player to be named later and they don't feel like they're like they feel like they have more guys in the organization who are the player they're trading.
1: away. Yeah, that's probably right. I think you're you're on the right track there. I would be surprised to see them give up anything. You know, we talked about on the minor league extra about. There being a pretty hard line after the first three prospects, after you have Mitchell, Terang, and uh, Small, I think that players beyond that point would be on the table. And maybe, maybe you include Feliciano in that. I think we're both fairly high in him, and I think the team is too. So maybe it's actually four guys and not just those three. But I wouldn't be surprised. We talked about the idea of Aaron Ashby being traded; that that wouldn't be shocking. That you, if if he returned the right piece coming back, like you could see that, and I you wouldn't be surprised to see your your random Peyton Henrys and people of that ilk get traded. Maybe Corey Ray, somebody like that, depending on what somebody thinks of him.
2: Right, I I think that's one hundred percent accurate. But it's it's going to be interesting. I I, but it's going to be unless it's Josh Hader, it's all going to be relatively small.
0: Hmm. Well, I think looking for maybe possible clues on what the Brewers would do, uh, this is kind of interesting. We we talked a week or two ago about this uh, idea that the league was going to allow teams to kind of share their data from their alternate sites to try to maybe spurn more trade action, right? So so teams have some some level of information working with the minor leaguers or folks who aren't on the roster to maybe try to, encourage more more trading uh so you have more up-to-date information it turns out according to the athletic the brewers were not one of the teams that opted into that uh so they're one of the handful of teams who are not sharing their data therefore they don't get anyone else's data either kind of leads to our uh patreon question from adam post he's asking what do you make of that Uh, is it just a matter of not planning any big trades or do the brewers place a lot of value on their own data that they don't necessarily want getting out i guess brad what's your take on that situation
2: I think it's a few things. I think uh, Brewers value data not getting out. We talked with Chris Mehring, who said when he takes photos, they really don't want him including any of the data that would appear on the scoreboard where the coaches could note like spin rate or things like that, and they even took it off the scoreboard. Um, hmm. They, I think they value having the most information on their prospects, and I think that's what a big part of it comes down to is they are – They want to be a shadow org who knows more about anything than anyone else. And I think on top of that, there's a bit of ego that they believe they have everything they need to know on the players that they'd be interested in. Like, if you trade Josh Hader, you're trading him for guys that you don't really need follow-up information on. Like, I talked about them demanding Mackenzie Gore. That's very unrealistic. They get Mackenzie Gore for Josh Hader, unless it's like a one-for-one. One. But when you look at a trade like that, do you need more
0: information on Mackenzie Gore? <laughs> they're pretty known quantities as far as prospects go, and, is what you're saying.
2: Exactly. They're they're guys who've been heavily scouted, who you know what they are. They're good players who don't need much change. And barring injury that you'd spot on a medical, it's not information you're really worried about not having i know they spend a lot of time with video collection that they they do a lot of that so i i think they're just arrogant in their own resources and it could hurt their trade prospects with other teams and that other teams don't like not having the data but i don't think they really care about that again i think they're happy to if it comes down to it just they pat this season because they don't need an asset for just 30 games
1: yeah that could be i am a little bit surprised because My thought process on this was, and I think we both took for granted that they were one of the teams that was trading and not not trading the information. Mm -hmm. My thought process was that I figured they would think, well, we can do more with that data than most other teams. So we don't mind giving up some information to get information from other teams because we're going to be able to glean more from that information than they will with similar access. The other thing that was, you know, talked about a little bit, and I, I can't remember exactly was this us that was talking about this or was this a, one of my different group <laughs> chats? We were discussing the idea that maybe the Brewers have, they didn't want to share their information because they have so, more of it than other teams do. And they wouldn't be getting as good of information as they would be giving. Like they would be, because they do a, a really good job of analyzing their own players and of, you know, making sure that there's, everybody has access to the pitching lab and all that kind of stuff. And they wouldn't want to get back less to give up more basically.
2: Right. I think it's a level of equity in their mind where teams would be like, no, yeah, we gave you a video of this game. That's fair. And they're like, we gave you spin rate. We gave you hard hit contact. We gave you like all the baseball numbers and all the numbers we like we have started coming up. And the San Francisco Giants gave us a 15 minute video of a scrimmage
0: Right I mean that's a fair point we we didn't really mention here is that the data and video that was sharing wasn't necessarily equitable they're not sharing all the same things it was kind of you know because some teams didn't have video capabilities at their alternate training sites some people probably don't have track net or whatever else you want to use to measure the pitching stuff. I, you know, it's entirely possible the brewers have developed their own metrics down at the pitching lab that that's part of their data and they don't want that getting out as proprietary info. Right. So I think with that in mind, maybe it's less surprising that they didn't share, but I, I guess I was still surprised when it first came out, just because it seems like an organization that'll take any data it can get its hands on. Right.
1: Right. Especially when you're giving out just your information, and you're potentially getting back 20, 25 teams worth of information, right? Like, it seems like you'd have so much more coming in as opposed to going out. But again, maybe it's the quality of information that they they just don't feel like other teams would be giving them as good of stuff as they would be giving to them. So.
0: Right. And again, and again, maybe it's an indication that they're not too seriously considering adding pieces that they don't already that they either already have plenty of information on, or that they're just not that interested in some of the down roster players, what have you. Another Patreon question to get to here: PJ Wessels is asking about Orlando Arceo. We mentioned him a little while ago. Uh, he's having his best off- offensive season yet. There's a big difference between the Baseball Reference War and the Fangraphs War, but putting that aside. Is this year going to be enough to consider bringing him back next season, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I think it, that was always potentially in the cards. It's going to come down to what else they're able to do, how how else things fit together, and it's also going to come down to well, what does Orlando RC expect? Like, does he want to be like the the no doubt every day shortstop? And if he's not that, he's going to be unhappy. We've seen no indication of that to this point, but. All of those things potentially come into into play. But yeah, I think this does the season he's having this year does make it more likely he comes back and that they decide to tender him an an offer again because he still has two years of arbitration remaining. Mm -hmm. This is only his first year of arbitration, so two years of control after this. I think that it, it increases the chances, but there's so many other factors that we just don't know yet that it's impossible to say, like, Oh yeah, this definitely means that he's coming back, or you know, it doesn't change it at all.
2: I think the marked improvement. Not enough people talk about. We look at WRC plus and OPS plus and things like that, but you look at the eight percent drop in his career strikeout rate. I think that's like the most important thing that shows how substantially he's improved at the plate this year. Yeah, where he he's a much more patient hitter. He's absolutely earned more chances at his current offensive measurements. You're looking at a guy who sits 14th among players with at least 80 plate appearances in the league. And the players who are demolishing him are people like Fernando Tatis, (laughs) which I don't think that's going to surprise anybody. But yeah, I I mean, the problem before was he was worst in the league. He
0: He was was historically bad last year. Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh And that's, that's not, that's not hyperbole. It was legitimately historically bad for a regular last year. So you're looking at now that he's middle of the pack, he it's perfectly acceptable to have him in the lineup on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the point that you made about lowering the strikeout rate is, is really interesting. I mean, he's still not going to take very many walks. He's taking more this year, uh, but he'll still jump on the first pitch, but he's making contact at least, I guess is the improvement there you know he, he and he's putting the bat on the ball more and i think it's really easy to forget he's 25 years old like <laughs> we've been we've been watching him for years we've been frustrated by him for years so it's just really easy to forget that there's still a decent amount of chance for him to grow here we could be 3 years away from his peak for all we know you know uh well, so mm-hmm. it's it's a really I mean, it's an exciting thought. I don't know if you want to bank on it, you know, based on the inconsistency we've seen year to year, but I think, you know, we're getting to the point where he's in his mid twenties and he's showing some improvement. So I think there is for sure enough optimism there to keep him around. I don't see a reason to need to move on from him. Yeah. You have Urias now, but I mean, he's shown that he's plenty valuable moving across the diamond and you know, that, he and, uh, he and Arcia together have kind of developed a nice little rapport on the middle infield there. They seem to, you know, work together well. There's was nothing fun- ro- yeah. On
2: the broadcast today, they were talking about like how much of a role model RC is. And I Which was is like, this crazy is such to- a weird thing to think about. It's crazy to
0: think about, but he's been here probably the longest out of some of those guys, at least, you know, the infielders, um, yeah. and the, of the infielders. And, you know, he he was always kind of the, the junior to Hernan Perez, who was kind of like that infield leader leader among the Latino players. And, and it seems like RC has kind of taken that up himself too, which, you know, is, is not nothing either. It, it's good to have like those glue guys, so to speak too.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think RC has got to be the second longest tenured player on the team at this point, right behind Braun.
0: Holy crap. You might be right.
1: Yeah. I think I pretty sure unless I'm just missing somebody on the pitching staff, but yeah. I don't know. I, I feel Woody. like there's Maybe? a picture. Yeah. Like, no, but they be, haven't Woody, been Woody up consistently. They've been up and down. Yeah, mm. they've been up and down. Like Hater came up in twenty seventeen, and yeah, no, R.C. is the second longest tenured member of the Brewers. It's insane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, we we just had like a massive realization here. That's that's fun though. That. So I mean, it and he's still only twenty five. So, yeah, I think that's. He's definitely earned, you know, a longer look next year well, too. And Longenhagen mentioned when we talked to him about RCA
2: for mm-hmm. a very little bit that, you know, there's the example of players like Kettle Marte who were yeah. 25, 26 and, you know, may have arguably been rushed up to the uh, majors a little quickly. And I think there's a good argument to be made that RCA was definitely
0: rushed up as part of like a here's a shiny prospect in a bad year kind of thing, right?
2: Right. It was like 2016, mm-hmm. please pay attention to us. <laughs> or was it 2015? But No, it, it was 16. Yeah, so 2016 in August, please pay attention to us. Please look, here's, here's a good boy who throws the ball well and you know, who definitely wasn't ready for that moment, in my opinion. So you look at a guy like that and uh, Kettle Marte, who the same thing happened to, the Mariners sent him over to the Diamondbacks and he becomes a superstar. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have the same quite performance going this year, but he's still hitting like 320, you know. It's still something I think most players would be very satisfied if Orlando Arcia came into. I don't think he's ever going to be an offensive superstar. Uh I think his three ninety slugging is about as happy as we're gonna get in that position for him. But when you're like I think this offensive growth shows you that there still is a lot of potential to hope for with him and good to come where it's not just a player stuck in the awful, awful, awful offense that he showed for two years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely exciting stuff. And hopefully he can keep it up over this last half of the season here. Uh, one more question to get to before we wrap things up here. This one is on Twitter from James Vandenberg. He's saying lots of pitching staffs have been decimated by injuries this season, but so far the crew's arms have mostly stayed healthy as we knock on wood here. (laughs) Is this a coincidence or do you think the organization has a better plan on keeping players ready and have watched them more closely since they got back? I guess, Ryan, what's your take?
1: Both. It's 100% both. I have no doubt that the Brewers are good at this and that we have seen them do better in terms of pitching injuries in recent years than other teams there was a study that came out on this a year or two ago and the brewers were down towards the bottom of the league in terms of pitching time lost to injury and all that the brewers are are i have no doubt that they're good at this but that only extends so far there's still a a tremendous amount of luck even if you're the best organization in baseball at keeping pitchers healthy you're still going to have guys get hurt and because pitching is inherently a a thing that breaks the human body do trying to, to throw the ball like pitchers do as often as they do as hard as they do is something that the human body wasn't necessarily designed to do. And so like the, the load is going to break a lot of guys just no matter what you do and that's never going to change but. I, I do think that we can pretty safely say that the Brewers, they they know some things and have some some ideas that make them a little bit better than your average team in terms of keeping pitchers healthy.
0: Yeah, Brad, I guess, it. do you think it's kind of an organizational pitching lab voodoo kind of thing, or is it luck?
2: Yeah, I was a little afraid the Brewers would actually lose quality in this because they replace a lot of their award-winning medical staff but obviously like they replace them with people who are just as competent i i think they put a lot of emphasis on strategies to keep their pitching healthy they obviously don't like to push their pitchers to uncomfortable levels that could lead them to injury i think it's a lot of stuff like that when you look at it um and like ryan said there's also luck because injuries just come down to dumb luck that's that's just the fact of the matter uh you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if a major injury happened tomorrow. There's always <laughs> I was just
0: gonna I was gonna say Adrian Hauser is headed for another Tommy John right now uh, uh, as you listen to this.
2: Uh, yeah. Um but it, I mean the, the organization has been lucky, but also you're you're lucky because you're good at something, right? Like luck is founded by something. Um the body but the body doesn't always respond to everything that's perfect. We've seen pitch like Devin Williams was lauded for being like this perfect fundamentals pitcher he had Mm -hmm. great uh, repetition of his arm slot it was in a healthy place like everything was in sync Uh, it was just about him like figuring things out and then he had tommy john surgery so it's it's all just comes down to the random variances that, that the human body offers that we can't control and so far the brewers have really lucked out on it
0: yeah Absolutely, uh, lots of good questions this week. A reminder: if you have something you want us to talk about, we do put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account. That's at mke tailgate. Just reply to that tweet with your question, or you can follow each of us on Twitter and send us the questions directly. Ryan is at rd top, Brad is at Brew Crew blue, and I'm at James L. And of course, too, we put out the call for questions on our Patreon page, patreon.com/mke tailgate. When you become a patron, you get question priority here on the show. And if you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you listen to us. Please do subscribe. And while you're there, please leave a review to help other people find the podcast. In the meantime, we spent a lot of time talking about the trades or possible trade deadline. Uh, We'll see what actually happens. Uh, Tune in next week. We'll break anything down there. Thank you all for listening. Stay well. And we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.